Welcome to episode 256 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we preview the final of the 2021 Rugby League World Cup and much, much more. Join us as we build a Rugby League community for all. Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 256 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fan's perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, it is upon us. The Rugby League World Cup final is upon us. All three of them, men's, women's, wheelchair. It's happening this weekend. We're finally here. Are you pumped? Are you ready for it? Because it's an, it's going to be an epic one, I reckon. Well, yes, yes, Doctor T. You know what? I I am uh, feeling very privileged, very blessed, if I could say that. Um, why? Because you know this this weekend when we watch the rugby league men's grand final, it will be the first time in the history of the World Cup, um, in rugby league history that you know the nation of Samoa will play in the final. Right? Um, never again will there be this first. Right? Um, so yeah, so that is quite a, an honor to, to witness, I've got to say, and to be, to be a part of it. And I think, I mean, I'm obviously I'm not going to be there, but like, you know, just, just, um, you know, it's monumentous, right. And I'm really looking forward to it because it's something that, uh, it's, it won't ever happen ever again, like their first time and who knows what will happen. So yeah, so I think this world cup has, you know, the criticisms and I've been a bit critical myself, but it, I think it's. I think with the results over the weekend, uh, I think this has become uh, going to be a, a truly epic day for rugby league in rugby league history. What about yourself, Dr. T? Oh, look, you know, absolutely, completely agree with you. Um, you know, I think you accidentally came up with a word that uh, <laughs> you, you, you just mixed up two words. You, you said monumentous, which... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you meant that, Tish, but it was – I think that absolutely sums up. It's going to be monumental and momentous. Absolutely agree. <laughs> yes, it's it's a great word that you've just invented. Look for Tish in the, in the next Oxford Dictionary next Unbelievable. year. Yeah. Monumentous. It is going to be a picture of Tish watching the Rugby League World Cup final between Australia and Samoa. Uh, you know, you're right, Tish, the, the – you know, I, I predicted at the beginning of the year that Tonga would win, uh, and obviously my my crystal ball was was uh, a bit cloudy. I, th- I think I needed to miss a spot. I, I didn't clean it properly. Uh, I was well, even if Samoa doesn't really win, the fact that they've made the World Cup final is, you know, we're talking about a, a small island in the South Pacific. You know, I don't even know how many do they even have a million. Uh, a couple of million, maybe, uh, of uh, uh, in terms of um, population. Let me look it up while we talk. But I, I, I think it's around the three hundred thousand mark. Um, so, 
Uh, wow. Yeah. So, th- so there, there are, there are literally. Oh, it's even. Uh, I think it's actually even less than three hundred thousand. So, um, there are there are towns in Australia that are smaller than, uh, you know, that um, that are bigger than Samoa, right? Uh, you know, in regional towns, regional centres. I think probably Townsville, right? So, is probably bigger than the population of Samoa. So that gives you an idea of the nation, and uh, you know, yeah, and, that's and, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. And uh, I look. I mean, I know that um, not all these players are sort of born in, uh, in Samoa, but some of them. But they all have Samoan heritage, of course, and some of them are. So you know, it's it's not just, I suppose, about um, you know the the nation itself and everything, but it's also about the heritage, the Polynesian heritage, that um, you know that that uh, rugby league is is sort of championing at the moment, right? You know, we've had a. We've had a we've had a bit of a turmoil a year a little bit with some of the stuff around you know the pride jersey and stuff like that but you know on the other hand you know we've got, we've got a sport that you know has a you know I think uh, you know it is showing that it is a game for all it's not just a game for Australia New Zealand and England anymore right it's a game that belongs to uh, lots of people including. Uh, you know, Polynesian players. So, um, yeah, so well done to Samoa. I know we're jumping a little bit ahead of ourselves, but look, it truly is going to be, um, you know, a, a day, a very important day in the history of rugby league. That's the, that's, that's what it's going to be. So look, absolutely. Yeah. You're right. And I think that's what, that's what my crystal ball was telling me that this year was <laughs> going to be a momentous year. You know, mm. we, did, we obviously saw Tonga defeat Australia, couple of years ago and that was that was a huge kind of defeat even though it wasn't in a, a sort of a world cup environment and you know surely there's going to be uh you know australia are still favorites and we're going to talk about it in detail but i think the the idea of a south pacific island nation uh being strong enough in, in this in this kind of climate to make it to a world cup final never happened before the furthest that that anyone has gone is uh i think well tonga has made the semi-finals and i think maybe samoa may have made a semi-final at one point um but to make the final means that you've got to beat one of the big three and that's never happened before in this in this context uh to make a final so absolutely already history is made and i guess the question that we're going to ask later is is it uh you know is that where history stops or are we going to see uh, uh, an absolute fairy tale? But yeah, look, uh, it's all about history making in many ways, actually, this World Cup. So I think, um, look, there's a lot to get through, but let's let's roll into, into it. So here are our six tackles. Tackle number one, here's the update. All right. Last weekend, we saw the semi-finals uh, of of the three main competitions being played at the moment: the men's, the women's, and the wheelchair competition. So, obviously, uh, the focus for us is going to be the men's competition. This is the one that we're most familiar with, and and uh, and we're going to be focus a little bit on both the semi-finals and the preview of the World Cup final later on. But in summary, Australia in the first semi-final defeated New Zealand 16 to 14 at Ellen Road, Leeds, in front of 28,000 uh, fans. Uh, England were defeated by Samoa 27 to 26 in Golden Point extra time 
at Emirates Stadium London in front of 40,489. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, in the women's, we've got uh, Australia against Papua New Guinea. Well, it was a washout, 82 nil. Uh, Australia won that one at York Community Stadium. Uh, and the uh, the game, it was actually a doubleheader. The game after that was England and New Zealand. New Zealand winning that one 20 points to six against England, making it to the final. So we're going to see Australia and New Zealand, the Jillaroos and the, are they called the Silver Ferns in uh, the Women's uh, World Cup final? And finally, with the wheelchair semifinals, uh, France, 84 to 40 uh, over Australia. Um, I think they're the current champion so and probably one of the favourites. So they, they've made the final against England, who absolutely demolished Wales, 125 to 22. Um, and I've got to say, Tish, uh, you know, just breaking a little bit because we won't have a chance to talk about it otherwise. For anyone who's watched the wheelchair games, it's uh, – look – Yes, we're gonna we see lots of blowouts, especially when you've got the likes of France and England that are dominating over the others. But geez, it is such an interesting and a very fast paced and tough yep. game. Oh my um, gosh, yeah. I, I can't describe it because sometimes you're watching it and you're thinking that these guys are making it look so easy. And and girls as well. I think it's a mixed competition. So you do have some girls playing as well. I think um some teams more than others. Definitely Wales. I've seen some uh, some women play in that team, I believe. Um, but yeah, uh, look, it's just a tough tough game, and and you know even teams that are getting flogged. If you watch the way they play, you can. It's it's not like you can tell which teams are getting flogged just by looking at you know in 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 the game that we normally watch. We see. Yeah, you can see some terrible defense. For a team that's getting beaten 100 nil or 70 nil. you can see that they make some poor choices in defense, etc. But with this wheelchair game, some of them you watch and, and you just think, this looks like it's a proper state of origin context. Why is that team so far ahead of the other? And it's because it really is like a game of inches. I mean, you know, it's a bit like Tag as well. They've got tags on their mm. shoulders. They've got spare tags on their lap, and as soon as uh, I think you have to get it, correct me if I'm wrong, Tish, do you have to get both tags off a player or just one tag off their shoulder? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you need to get both tags off. And you're right about I think it's just brutal. Can I say that? Like, yeah, it is, yeah, <laughs> it is like a contest. And, um, you know, look, um, the reason why the scores are the way the scores are is, is I mean, they're not playing on a rugby league field, they're playing on a court probably usually a basketball court. So it is a lot smaller. And, you know, so the way um, the match unfolds, um, you know, you're going to get like a lot of back and forth, right? Um, and, um, you know, th- they use the the kick, which is actually just a, a hand pass sort of thing. Like, like a volleyball, uh, okay. like in volleyball, how you, what do you yeah. call it? You, you hit the ball with your hand. That's exactly what they do in a, for goal kicks and also for uh, in general play. So you do yeah. you do see you do see grubber kicks and chip and chase in this exactly. game. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It, it is it is super exciting and look, um, yeah. So look look and yeah and you're right. It is it is mixed as well. Um, and not and look mixed not just in gender but also like in terms of ages as well, right? So um, you know it is a game that can be played by young and old type of thing. So 
You know, I think it's a strong candidate for something like the Olympics, right? Because it could be the that first sport where, you know, where, you know, it doesn't matter what gender you are, right? It doesn't matter, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are. You could participate in the one sport. I think that is tremendous, right? So, yeah, I think, yeah, look, anybody who hasn't seen a wheelchair rugby league game, you've got to watch it, I feel. I think it's it's just one of these things that you've got to be able to see. Um, um, because you've got, I mean, you also see players falling out of their wheelchairs quite a lot. Um, a bit like, you know, two vehicles crashing. Right, there is a bit of that going on too. So it's it's got everything everything exciting about sport is in rugby league. Well, uh, you know, wheelchair rugby league, and um, you know that element of the high school is just you know, as I said, it's kind of like basketball where it's it's going uh, pillar to post or end to end type thing. You know, so mm. yeah, I look um, looking forward to it, and uh, and I believe uh, yeah. I think France were the reigning world champions. Is that right, uh, Dr. T? So I think they are, yeah. And yeah. so France and England have basically won it uh, alternatively for the last four or five uh, that they've had. I don't, yeah. So definitely both are favourites, and uh, they've played like that. I mean, they've played so dominatingly over all other teams. Uh, it's been really amazing to see. But the Aussies really gave France a good go. I think. 80, 84 to 40 looks like a, a flogging and it kind of kind of is but in in the wheelchair sort of world it's pretty close actually like it was brutal um, mm. lots of tries scored by everyone and uh, and yeah and I think the the class of France and England shown uh, showed through I think in both of those semi-finals but yeah you're right it's a, it's a brutal game but it's it's very entertaining to watch it's very fast paced um, and but it's not too fast paced. It's not like you're watching, you know, it's not like ping pong or something like that where you're table tennis or whatever. Yeah. Or ice hockey where sometimes you go, where's the puck? I completely can't see it. Just skating around, right? Yeah. They just, it's a bit like the, you know, find the, find the ball in the picture kind of thing in the newspapers of old. Um, But, but this is not like that at all. Like it's fast enough that looks exciting but also slow enough that you can kind of tell what's going on and you, and it's, and yeah, the brutality of it and, and the way that, you know, these, the, the, the funny thing is that these, these people are, have already got, you know, there's a disability there. So they, they can't, you know, they're in a wheelchair, obviously, but they put the body on the line, like it, the, in a way that I think mm. most able-bodied uh, people, you know, you kind of, we, we applaud, the able-bodied athletes for doing that, but for these guys to do it and girls to do that and, you know, lunge and fall off their wheelchair because they're going to – as soon as they do that, they have, like, two, three helpers helping them up. And uh, so, you know, like, to do that is is really brave and courageous, I think, and it's um, it's a testament as well to the the, the way that, they've, that they're trained and, and their passion for the game. Um, but yeah, it's been really great to watch. I'm, I've especially been a fan of France. Uh, I've seen a few of their games, and, and they've been really exciting. And uh, you know, there was one one guy there that scored a try, reminiscent of a of a Josh Addo car. <laughs> you know, like the way his speed, he just went zipped through the middle, and it just you know, it, again, really amazing to watch. But yeah, um, all right. Look, that's the summary of the semifinals. We are going to dive into. Uh, a review of the men's uh, semifinals from tackle number two. So here we go.
tackle number two, we're starting with Australia v New Zealand. It was a 16 to 14 win, uh, Australia over New Zealand. It was 14 uh, 10 in favour of New Zealand at half time. So really, it was only one converted try in the early part of the second half to Nathan. Uh, sorry, it was a Cameron Murray try and Nathan Cleary kicked the goal. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I'm going to start. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm going to start with, I guess, my uh, overall comments, and I'm, I'm going to invite you, Tish, to sort of give mm. your your overall comments, and then we can dive into some of the details. Um, my overall comments are: I think what New Zealand proved is that they're they're back in the A game. They're back in Tier One. Um, last time around, you'll recall they were defeated by both Tonga and then Fiji, who knocked them out. Um, this time around, I think, uh, you know, the way that they matched it with the raging hot favourites as current world champions, um, Australia, really showed to me that they, uh, you know, they, they're back, they're back in this, uh, in, in this realm uh, and, and, uh, you know, Michael Maguire, I think has got a lot to be congratulated for, for bringing them up off the canvas and, and getting them fighting again the way they should be. Um, I almost think that New Zealand would be feeling entitled to uh, be a little bit disappointed that they didn't win this one. I I feel like they actually probably deserve to win a little bit more than Australia, not just because they were kind of well, – New Zealand were winning at half time. I think they uh, – I don't know. I just got the feeling that New Zealand uh, probably regretted some poor decisions – uh, they probably thought, you know, they and, and they definitely fought hard. So, so let me just say, I, I felt that watching it, that New Zealand kind of, uh, you know, matched it with Australia. I think where they didn't match it with Australia and where, where they need to go back to the drawing board is fitness. Because I think from the early part of the second half, you could tell that New Zealand were out on their feet. They mm-hmm. weren't really... Uh, you know, a bit one-dimensional in attack because they they were just too tired. And at the end of the day, the difference between these teams was a lapse in judgment. Well, there were two things, really. (laughs) One was, uh, in terms of the scoreboard, it was a lapse in judgment uh, by uh, Brandon Smith. Uh, He Apparently, the suggestion was that he was mildly concussed and slightly before that Cameron Murray try, where it was a sneaky Cameron Murray try where he just sort of did a quick tap and ran a few metres and, and scored under the post. Um, the suggestion that I would, would put forward is that that should never have occurred anyway. It shouldn't have been a penalty uh, to, to Australia so close to the line. I felt that that um, there was a, a bit of milking going on by Harry Grant. Um, you know, he was too slow to pick up the ball and Manu did. I've, I felt Manu did the right thing. I don't think that uh, he, uh, you know, I, I don't understand what happened. In fact, the referee initially said play on, and then he gave a penalty. So to me, I'm puzzled as to why that penalty was given uh, when the call was very clearly made by the referee to play on. Um, so if you if you erase that from from history. <laughs> then it's a New Zealand victory. And we're talking, you know, New Zealand Samoa in the, in the final. So it was really that close, uh, except 
for the fitness levels. I felt Australia looked like they had more gas in them as opposed to New Zealand. So, you know, going forward, and we can we can talk a little bit more, but I'm going to ask you for your views, your overall views about, uh, you know, anything I said or, or uh, you know, how close were New Zealand really? Yeah, well, look, um, the scoreline, 16-14, three, three tries to two. Um, you know, Australia, um, you know, only getting two out of three conversions. New Zealand, New Zealand actually getting a penalty and getting two conversions out of theirs. But I think the telling thing for me is that at the end of the day, New Zealand did not score a point in the second half, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, whereas Australia were able to come back. Um, you know, they scored, uh, you know, Cam Murray scored in the uh, 52nd minute and then, you know, converted. And that's the, that's their... That's their, you know, six points in the second half um, versus zero points in the, you know, for New Zealand. So I think New Zealand, whatever it was, it just came down to to just, as you said, is it fitness? Is it, you know, just not being able to, to sort of, you know, bring it home type thing. And meanwhile, Australia were able to manage themselves to towards the victory. Look, they had their chances, New Zealand, certainly in the second half. And I, th- and I certainly think that they, um, you know, gave a good showing. I think you are right. Look, I think we've got to remember that five years ago, they did not make the World Cup semifinals, uh, you know, losing to a shock upset to, to Fiji. So this year they were able – this year they were close to having that go- going again, but they've been able to rebuild. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we talk about the, um, you know, the, the Polynesian defection – you know, uh, issues that um, have plagued Australia. But I think it's actually hit New Zealand even harder. You know, let's not forget Jason Tamalola was playing for New Zealand previously. So they really struggled, I think, with culture, identity, a little bit about, like, the national pride, um, you know, sort of five years ago. And I think uh, Michael Maguire um, and his coaching staff and uh, have really, re- you know, instilled in them the... Um, you know, what it means to be uh, a New Zealand rugby league player, right? And I think that they've done that. Um, you know, you've got players like Dylan Brown and Jerome Hughes, who are, you know, top-of-the-line NRL players who are there. Um, but this is probably where one of the talking points out of this World Cup needs to be. I think if New Zealand, if they had the same opportunities as, say, a team like Australia to play together, I think New Zealand end up being a better team with more combinations because I think in the second half, what I did see is that it felt like everybody was trying to do their own thing and there wasn't really uh, a team camaraderie. I don't know if they need to take off their shoes and have like the Brad Fittler tactics where they're like training blindfolded or something to get to know each other. But um, oh, okay, is that? I thought that was in one of the Star Wars films, wasn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm not under, but but just Are you that, getting yeah. confused? There? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that, but but that, but they do seem to be missing that sort of, uh, you know, thing that sort of makes them play together as a team type thing. So, um, which which what I, I kind of think the Harker is kind of the maybe they need to do a Harker at the beginning of the game, but also just before the second half. Maybe they should, they should just do it in the dressing room to hype themselves. To prep up. themselves, prep themselves. Like, yeah, maybe they did. Maybe they did do it because I felt like when they came out, they look really tired. It's like you just had a <laughs> half time break. Did you yeah. not rest? 
Mm. Isn't that the whole well, point look, of halftime is to rest a bit and regroup? Anyway, yeah, but, yeah. I, we we did not see the footage of what they were doing. Uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, during the halftime break, maybe they were running marathons out there or something like that. You know, like, <laughs> maybe they, they maybe they were on the exercise bikes. It seems like all these players are always on the exercise bikes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yes, yeah, yeah. so I think yeah. Look, a great effort by them. I mean, this is. Like uh, you know, with, without without throwing too much conspiracy theory out there, like this is the game that they knew that they would have to play. The draw kind of didn't work in New Zealand's favour, in my opinion, because um, it was inevitable that they'll play Australia in the semi-finals, right? Um, if they topped the group, if they came second, because you know the the top two teams end up fighting off each other in the quarterfinals on the same side of the draw. So so it came down to them being able to beat Australia in the semifinals, no matter what happened. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, they just weren't able to do it. Um, so, but look, I think – and look, um, the positives for them is that, you know, you got your playmakers like Jerome Hughes and Dylan Brown, who are still, you know, sort of young in their career. Um, so, and you've also got Joseph Manu, who's also young in his career too, right? So, um, and, and Brandon Smith to, for that matter. So he's not really playing regular, um, dummy half in the NRL, but might get a chance at the risk to be the number one dummy half. So I think, um, they've got lots of good building blocks to really be a good team, uh, to, to improve in the next four years. And I think Australia probably need to, uh, think about that a little bit about how they're going to progress rest in the next four years after because I think Ireland can only only get stronger from what I can see from from where they were this uh, this time around. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm just going to go to the stats to just see whether that gives us a uh, it paints a picture that supports anything that we've said. And look, if you look at nrl.com everyone, just have a look at this the match center. Got always re- really great stats that we tend to rely on here, but if you look at the stats for this game, it was like so many of them, the key stats are so evenly matched. I mean, you would be proud to for a state of origin match to be this mm. evenly matched. And and it was it was generally like that. But there were a few things that stood out that told you a little bit about the way that they approached the game. So one of the one of the key ones that, that stands out, the differences between the two teams is the offloads. Uh, New Zealand had 20 versus Australia had six. So I think that tells you that the way that New Zealand wanted to play is, uh, and look, that says nothing about how effective the offloads are or when they occurred. But, uh, you know, watching the game, I also felt that, you know, they, at least when they were ahead and when they were uh, inching ahead in, in towards the end of that second half, it was basically through New Zealand. Just it, it was the second phase play that did it all, um, and it's the same. I think I, be, I believe it's the same story with the Samoa game. Mm. But I'll have a look at the stats there because it felt like that watching it that that they were more uh, willing to chan- you know chance it and and try something, whereas Australia were more reliant on the individual kind of you know breaking the tackle that kind of thing. Um, and, and there wasn't much fluidity in in passing, so that's something that, and, and that's not just me saying that. There's a lot of people that have been critical of Munster and, and Cleary in particular 
about the way that they didn't really effectively kind of utilize their back line and, and that kind of thing. And, and uh, so I think that's, that's kind of part of it. Um, the other thing is dummy passes. The Aussies had 28 <laughs> to seven. I don't know what that means, but I get, well, that actually supports what I just said that, that part of what they tried to do is out, outsmart uh, the player in front of them. And, and, mm. you know, it, you know, when you don't pass mm. and you throw a dummy pass, that means that you're the kind of player that wants to go it alone. And I think, you know, yeah, Red flag, red flag. Yeah. <laughs> For the final, um, if you're Samoa, I reckon assume that Australian, a lot of the Australian players are going to be a bit selfish and want to <laughs> and want to go go on their own. Yeah. Um, look at who you've got. Well, you've got Munster throws dummies all the time. You've got Tedesco who very rarely passes a ball, and if you can tackle him, he usually slips over anyway. Yeah. Um, You've got well, quite a well, few on the flip side of the dummy passes, I think uh, lesson for New Zealand and maybe some more, like tackle the guy with the ball. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's in the first lesson. The first <laughs> yeah. lesson you get that. Yeah, like, like don't fall for the dummy. Don't right. fall for it, exactly. Well, I mean, to be honest, they, they, they barely did fall for the dummy. I mean, if you look at the tries, and I, so we forgot to mention, you said three tries to two. The first try was the Josh Addo car try. Yeah, unbelievable, by the way. An unbelievable try. I believe it was a Ben Hunt kick. I, initially, when I thought I saw it, I thought it was Cleary, but it was actually Ben Hunt that kicked, uh, you know, over the top and behind Rapana, Jordan Rapana, who was mm. was probably regretting the fact that he just assumed it was going to nobody. But Josh Addo car, fastest human alive, as Gus Gould calls him, uh, sped through, caught it on the full, easy try. But easy, not really easy. It made it look easy, but it was because he was super fast and he got there first. The second try, the Valentine Holmes one, I believe that was a was that uh, if I remember correctly, that was like a sideline try, and that was only just you know that was a, like only just given, I believe. So that that's uh, and yeah. Whereas if you look at and the Cameron Murray one was darting out from. Uh, uh, dummy half kind of thing. So uh, if you look at those tries, there's nothing in there that suggests great backline movements and whatever. Whereas you look at the, the New Zealand tries, um, definitely the – I forget the Jerome Hughes one, the first try, but definitely the Dylan Brown one. Um, that was straight, easy passing, Mulitalo, Ronaldo Mulitalo, you know, speed on the side, pass it back into Dylan Brown in support. You know, it was that kind of thing. So they, if you look at the stats again, they the the Aussies, I think, you know, definitely, and we'll, we'll probably talk about it later in the preview of the final. But that is something that I noticed. Um, but then the other stat I wanted to mention was uh, uh, where was it? Ineffective tackles, twenty four to seven, uh, where Australia made twenty four. So. They really need to beef up their defence, I think. So they, they've got quite a bit of homework to do. But, but you know, despite all that, I think New Zealand – look, my, my overall summary is I think New Zealand deserved uh, – possibly deserved to win that game. Uh, they, they outplayed Australia for the majority of it. I think the fitness got the better of them at the end and then they just completely looked out of sorts and without the ability to kind of uh, strike back once Australia got ahead um, – but at the end of the day, it was a the first genuine contest two-point game 
that we've seen in this tournament. The games have been getting better and better, and this was one of the most high-quality international matches that I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you – but that's my final thought on that. And I thought, yeah. look, I was happy to watch this game, and I could watch – Three lots of these games every year. <laughs> in, you know, Trans-Tasman Origin, let's do it. Because do I think it, yeah. this will give both teams an opportunity to score some combinations and, and, and build on that. But, um, Tish, well, what well, do you well, think? I think? Well, I think about a big Mal Meninga, right, coach of Australia, he did actually point that out, right, uh, calling this one of the most brutal games he's ever seen. Right, ever seen, right? You know, this is Mal Meninga, right? You know, like... Uh, wow. You know, so... I think I think it does show that like you know if he's got these high praises, like he knows uh, what went into it. So and Australia did have to play at a very high level, and and that's why it's reflected in as you say the stats. There isn't that much stats that are, um, you know that uh, that are like uh, too different from each other because you got two high quality teams full of high quality players, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, sort of you know, dueling it out. And I think, you know, the advantage of playing State of Origin year in, year out, you know, all these players have different combinations with each other. And 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 that and I think that was the difference, really, is that they have this. And I think New Zealand, um, you know, if New Zealand were afforded the same type of chances and maybe maybe a tri-series between New Zealand, Tonga and Samoa, um, you know, on a yearly basis could be, you know, while State of Origin is being played, you know, chuck Fiji in there as well if you want. Chuck the PNG in there as well. But you know, if if they had those same opportunities to build those combinations, I think you'd find that you know this game could even get even closer than what it was. Which is, it's only two points to begin with. So that that kind of shows you um, the high standard of you know when you got these T1 nations facing off now, it is it is high class rugby league, and uh, you know for the greatest game of all. Absolutely. Let's go on to tackle number three. All right, tackle number three. The big one, look, if you were happy with the New Zealand and Australia, the quality of that match, I think you would have been even more, well, not so much the quality, but the closeness and the passion and ultimately the result, the historic result, Samoa 27 to 26 in uh, golden point extra time uh, over England. It was five tries to four, tries to Tim LaFay, uh, Ligi Sow, Stephen Crichton, Tim Lafay again, and Stephen Crichton. So uh, two for both of those. Uh, and for um, England, Elliot Whitehead, John Bateman, and Herbie Farmworth got two tries. Uh, so five tries to four. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was uh, the, you know, penalty goal, controversial, I think, penalty goal mm. that kept England in it um, at the end. But at the end of the day, it was the Stephen Crichton one-point field goal yeah. uh, uh, in the 83rd minute. Um, there was a, a, a first – it was actually their second attempt at field goal. The first one was actually charged down and uh, the ball bounced in favour of England. But look, uh, and, you know, just like the other game, Samoa 
10-6 was led at halftime. So in both of those games, the underdog, um, you know, the right team were were leading at halftime. I think the biggest shock was actually the Samoa. Like the fact that Samoa, you know, turned around a 60-6 to drubbing in game one, the the Mm. first group game, and turned it around when it counted in a knockout. Uh, it was chalk and cheese. These two Samoa teams from game one to to semi-final, um, absolutely chalk and cheese. Th- these guys were, you know, the the epitome of kind of NRL clinical professionalism. They they barely made mistakes, uh, seemingly. <laughs> I haven't looked at the yeah. stats yet. Uh, it felt like they barely made mistakes. And when they did it was inconsequential because they scrambled so well in defence. They put all the pressure on England. England didn't have an answer. Uh, some of their much-touted players that, that that did very well in the early stages in the tournament didn't really um, do much in this game. And it felt like some, it was Samoa's game to, to win. Uh, or, or the correct way to say is Samoa's game to lose because... It was up to them. They had to put all the pieces together, and they did. Um, and so in my mind, you know, this wasn't a fluke uh, win. It was a genuine grinding out of the victory. Uh, some real clutch plays by Stephen Crichton, uh, you know, the, the famous intercept, uh, you know, towards the end there. Which uh, I believe, if I look at the, it was on the yeah, that's right, the seventy second minute. Yeah, and at that point, you thought it's all over; they've won it. But then mm. England scored that try with a few minutes to go, which basically caught them up. Um, you know, and and even then, that was after a controversial penalty uh, a few minutes before Stephen Crichton's final try. Um, but yeah. Putting it all together, like you said, a historic occasion. Uh, you know, regardless of what happens in the final, it was so such an epic game and such a great advertisement for International Rugby League. Tish, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, uh, you know, we mentioned how great the last game was, but I've got to say the second half of this game was tremendous. It was great theatre. Uh, you know, uh, well, it was great theatre. It was drama. It was back and forth. Here we go, left, right, and centre. Um, you know, when you talk about the word fluke, I don't think you could say this is a fluke at all, um, considering how far Samoa had to go from three weeks ago being absolutely embarrassed to where they've got to this point and to the point that, you know, in the 12th minute of the game, Junior Paolo, and, you know, apologies if I've got the surname correct, uh, uh, incorrect because they've, they've got a couple. So let's just call him JP. I don't know. But he did tremendous. Uh, you know, he, he was Sinbin basically, right, in the 12th minute for a speed tackle that wasn't the worst speed tackle in the world. I think there was a bit of momentum to it, but he was let go. And, you know, there was, uh, you know, so there was that. Plus, look, I think that if you watch that sort of last 15 minutes, like there were some things that I thought uh, – you know, I thought, look, uh, you know, there was a there's a bit of a shove at the back by Jerome Luai over one of the England players. They just did things that they didn't have to do some more, <laughs> right? And mm. like, man, you guys, this, you know, unforced, silly little errors, you know, you know, the English players getting under your nerves. You know, I thought they were going to lose, but then they were able to to keep their wits about them, 
Uh, and as you said, you know, Stephen Crichton, he's become a specialist when it comes to intercepting tries during big games, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you, you know, he would have had a great career as a uh, as a Cold War spy, making all those interceptions, right? Um, but yeah, because he's he, he, yeah he's he's become a specialist at it, and also cool, calm, and collected kicking the field goal goal on you know he must be left footed because it was a left footed uh, strike, um, you know after I think the first attempt which was from um, uh, Anthony Milford you know yeah as you said it was charged down and you know uh, England knowing man that they kind of made a couple of errors in that overtime when they were like trying to get the ball out and dropping the ball. Um, sort of forty meters out, I was like, "Man, like, uh, yeah, I don't know." It just, it just, it just felt that that was the way. Look, this game was a bit heated too. I've got to say, there was there was a bit of niggle, there was a bit of fight. So, I don't think you could say that England necessarily played poorly either. I think they did bring their A game to it as well. But I think, yeah, this this is what happens when um, Samoa is switched on, playing well. And I think the last two to three weeks, um, where they've actually, uh, you know, been able to put the, put themselves together. Um, is pretty good. Um, you know, Matt Parrish, uh, vindicated a little bit. Is vindicated the right word? I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, he's... Is he a he's... genius now? <laughs> well, not really, because the thing is, like, they had no warm-up games before the first game, and, and look what happened, right? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, like, no, no, whether he's in charge of warm-up games or not, I don't know. But, but clearly, at the start of <laughs> their campaign... They were a bit underprepared, and um, so I suppose an amazing job to get themselves prepared for for like yeah for the final. So, look, I just you know look, um, I haven't seen you know Matt Parrish's you know records uh, when he was going to high school, but I feel like he's kind of the guys that would uh, you know hand in the project with like a minute to go, you know, the last minute <laughs> preparation. <laughs> Uh, before it because, yeah. crams for the crams for the exam at the last minute. Yeah, I think he's a bit of a crammer. Like you know, like th- that would be my suspicion just based on how Samora have gone. Well, so and um, and, and look, uh, some people have made this suggestion that that <laughs> Samoa might have peaked a bit too early. So you know, what does that say about <laughs> about Matt Parrish? Too? I mean, if they get flogged by Australia this weekend, did they peak too early? Not sure, but I, but look. That that's to come, so so we can talk about that later. But yeah, yeah I think yeah. well done to Samara. I think I, I think it was absolutely tremendous, and um, you know, keeping their cool and being able to to, to win it eventually. Well, Matt Parrish, uh, like just on what you said, he does certainly look like the kind of guy that he just like woke up and he's late for work. <laughs> yeah, get that right. And he's just like quickly threw on his Samoa jacket and and rocks up at the last minute. He looked like if a I, fan out there. Like you know, there was a couple of shots. Where I'm like, why are they following this fan all the time? They don't realize that that's the coach. But he's no, but he doesn't just look like a fan. He looks like a fan that's running late and <laughs> and and just like rocked up and like, guys, what's the score? Oh, we're winning. Like it, it certainly looked like that. But no, in all fairness. I think the the question has been asked, uh, you know, certainly online, how much of this is Matt Parrish is doing and how much of it is the quality of players that they've got and, the like you said, the, the time that they've spent gelling together as a unit, you know, how much of this seems driven by their passion? Look, if you look at the way they played, so let me just look at the stats while we're doing this because I think the stats might give us a bit of a picture. Um you know, again, it was 
neck and neck. If you look at the all pretty much all the stats, you know, there's a there's a bit here, you know, a few more run meters for one and a few more post contact meters for the other. But there was nothing that I could see that really, really stood out. Certainly even just in the Australian New Zealand one, we got some vast differences in uh, in in a few uh, of the, of the stats, but I'm looking here, you know, mixed missed tackles. They were just one one different ineffective mm. tackles. Oh, they were pretty close, 23 versus 15. So again, I'm looking. I can't find anything where I would think, well, this is a sign here that one team dominated over another. No, not really. And I think, and again, I'm just so happy that I saw a close international game after everything we saw in the initial, you know, the group games and people just completely writing off this tournament as a farce because of all the, the blowout scores. Um, at the end of the day, when push came to shove and when the results mattered and when you get the best teams playing each other, they end up being, surprise, surprise, really uh, entertaining, really high quality and mm. close. And what more could you ask as a rugby league fan as we are? Um, we want to see more of these games. That's why every every time we, we talk about, you know, we review these games and it's a close game, we always say, you know, we need more of these games. We need, uh, you know, whether it's a, a more trans-Tasman tests or more South Pacific Island tests, let's, let's have a, a Pacific Island Cup once every couple of years. England needs to play more high-quality opposition. They don't have anyone at the moment in Europe that's going to challenge them. So they, they really need to play more of these games against the, you know, at the end of the day, even some of the South Pacific Island nations. I mean, Tonga and Samoa will now give them a, a run for their money. So this is a new world now that Samoa has actually, you know, Tonga opened the door and Samoa has, has kicked it down Desi Hazler style. Um, and here they are. They've defeated England. I personally thought the way England were playing, they were more impressive than Australia, I believe, in in the group games. And uh, I was, this was a game that uh, you know, I tipped Samoa, so I'm not surprised that they won. But I am surprised that that my fanciful ideas of of a South Pacific Island nation making the final have come to fruition. So very very glad that they won. But Tish, uh, do you have a final word before we move on? Yeah. Look, I think again a great day for Samoan Rugby League, a great day for Rugby League in general. And um, look, England, uh, yeah, regroup uh, in the next few years. But um, look, I think I think uh, at the end of the day, look, I think this is Samoa's moment and I think they deserve to be in the final. And, uh, and, and you know, I think they're going to do well against Australia. All right. Speaking of which, we're going to preview the Rugby League World Cup final. Take on number four. Here we go. The Men's Rugby League World Cup final is going to be Australia versus Samoa, as we've just mentioned. We've alluded to a lot of our thoughts about what we think is going to happen. And and I guess there's a few questions that I thought we, we could just talk about very briefly to to give us our, our you know, to, to lead up to the, the ultimate, which is what, what are our tips going to be, which we'll talk about at the end of this episode anyway. But look, one of the questions that have come up is, has Samoa played their grand final already? in that semi-final win against England. 
Um, you know, it's been going around. There's a lot of people thinking that, uh, you know, that the fairy tale really is over now because Australia will dominate and as they typically do at this stage of, of tournaments. Um, but there is, there is a difference this time around and I feel like, I feel like Samoa, they they just not ready to give up yet. I thought, yes, there was a real sense of relief when they won that game. And, you know, there's the, the images of Junior Paulo and others screaming into the into the air, you know, that they finally achieved something that no one thought possible. I look, I tend to think that uh, you know, they're gonna go that one step further. They're gonna allow and use their emotion, but also their their kind of uh, uh, passion, uh, but, but also their their knowledge of, and of how to game manage, uh, and their knowledge and experience really of of big game football. You know the fact you've got the the player. Uh, you know I believe one of the players of the tournament so far, Jerome Luai, uh, who I believe has won three out of uh, three out of the five. Man of the match before out of the five games they've played so far, he's won three man of the matches uh, for Samoa, and that tells you that he is absolutely on fire in this tournament. Stephen Crichton, you know, clutch plays, couple of clutch plays when it mattered. So it's not all Jerome Luai. You've got Crichton as well. Both of them, Penrith Panthers juniors and winners. You know, two-time winners in in uh, in a dominant sort of Penrith Panthers outfit for the last two years. Um, you put Junior Paulo in there. You throw him into the mix. You throw look Milford. I thought was actually going to be a bit of a liability, and and certainly um, he, uh, you know, hasn't been as impressive as I think you would expect. But uh, he's been solid. I mean, he hasn't been terrible. He's been good enough to be a good support act for Jerome Luai, which is where it all is is at the moment for Samoa. So, look, the question again is: Has have Samoa has Samoa played its grand final last week? And Tish, I'll throw that over to you before we go into the next question. Well, look, they've played a very important game last week. Um, do they have enough in the tank for this week? Look, I think so. I mean, I think with this tournament, right, you're playing, what, six games, and, you know, they've they've come through it. Uh, you know, they had a really a tough game against Tonga. A lot of people felt that maybe that game had taken too much out of them against, uh, against now England, but they've been able to show that they've been able to fight. And I think this is what happens is, you know, you've got a team that now, look, they made it their, their first semi-final. They go on to win their first semi-final and then they've got this momentum. They've got this momentum. They've got belief in themselves and they've got no pressure, right? Because no matter what happens, history has been made here, right? So, they just want to go out there and all they really need to do is compete for 80 minutes. And the more they compete for 80 minutes, I feel like the more pressure there'll be on Australia who need to retain the, this cup, right? Who have pretty much done it easy up until the, the last semifinal, but still was very uh, dominant in the second half. And, you know, a team like that, that's, that's uh, sort of meant to win. Um, you get to the final stage and then now you've got 80 minutes 
and you feel the pressure. So I feel like with Samoa, they haven't played their grand final. They've got a great chance here. It's just a matter of, um, you know, it's just a matter of them, uh, you know, um, it depends on how well they train and how their training camp is at the moment this week. Like, you know, if they're running around, running a mark and just like celebrating that, that, you know, if it's been mad, mad Monday for them all week, then it's not going to work. Right. But I think, I think the national pride is a bit different to an NRL team. And I think the national pride that the Samoans have seeing all their flags, probably seeing all the different messages on social media. I mean, I think they, I think they really want to do something special for their community. So, no, I don't think they played the grand final at all. I think they they know themselves that they could make it, and then they and I think they know themselves now that they hate if they compete, they've got they give themselves a chance. So, yeah, have they played the grand final for me? Not yet. So, so yeah, that's that's the first question. Fire away with the next question, Doctor. All right. Well, you know, you've answered a lot of questions there, and in fact, you've you've sort of mentioned. You sort of mentioned that the key thing I wanted to know, which is what do they need to do to compete? Because and, and you did say what they need to do is to compete. And I guess the question is, is passion going to be enough to allow them to compete? I, I like what you've said. I think the fact that the manner in which they won the semifinal is, I think, chalk and cheese to like, for instance, if let's just say, let's just say there was a fluke last minute and, you know, we almost had a few last minute tries uh, you know, opportunity, try scoring opportunities to New Zealand in the Australia game. Um, let's just say New Zealand won one of those games. Would you have felt New Zealand going into that World Cup final that they showed signs of, you know, being a competitive team? Like they were competitive. They were competing against the world champions, Australia, clear favourites of for the tournament as well. And... And, and yet they uh, they petered out a bit in that second half. They didn't really show much fight. Mm. They they showed that, like I said, part of it could have been fitness. I'm not going to suggest that they're not competitive. I've, I just felt that they they were they were they were constantly playing chasing Australia. And I guess the question is here, uh, you know, what we saw from Samoa was the opposite of that. We didn't see Samoa chasing England. We saw Samoa really. Uh, dominating England in many ways. They were yeah. in front. It was England that was chasing Samoa. That, I think, is the bit that really should uh, put the fear of uh, of God into Mal Meninga because that is a completely different approach and, and different uh, opponent that they will have facing them in the World Cup final compared to what we saw from New Zealand in the semi-final uh in the second half you know in the first half it was i felt the the way new zealand played that first half is the way samoa played the entire game plus the extra three minutes um they competed for everything they used their passion etc etc so i guess my question is you know yes they need to compete for the 80 minutes what tactically do they need to do uh, is there any weak points in Australia that they need to focus on? You know, if you were the Samoan coach, because um, let's be fair, this is an absolute, uh, you know, Australia is going to go into this match as raging hot favourites. Mm. Um, I don't know what the bookies have put on them at the moment. Uh, I don't really care. I think I'm pretty sure that Australia will be favourites by the yep. bookies. So let's just focus on if you were coaching uh, Samoa, 
Mm. So, you know, Matt Parrot Tish. <laughs> Not- <laughs> Okay, that's right. that's who you are, Matt Parrottish. Okay, yeah. you are Tish. You know what would you be doing? Mm. What would you be targeting? What uh, strengths would you be focusing on from your team? What weaknesses do you want to exploit in Australia's lineup? You know what what what's what's your go-to? Uh, this is it. This is your, as Eminem says, this is your one shot, Samoa. Uh, let's do this because this is history making either way. So why not go for broke? So Tish. You are Matt Paratish. What are you doing, Coach of Samoa? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question. Look, I, I'd say that the first thing I'll try to identify is, like, you know, where, where do we have the advantage, right? And I think Samoa has the advantage uh, with its forward pack, right? Because you've got, you know, two of the biggest forwards, mobile forwards as well in the game, in Josh Papalihi and Junior Paolo, right? Uh, any team that's got that sort of go forward, and you're matching up against, you know, two really good forwards as well in in Regan Campbell, Campbell Gillard, and you know, is it Jake Travoyevich? He normally doesn't play front row, so I think in terms of you know forward dominance, I think you've got a shot at getting to the Australians, right? I think mean, it's mm. probably the first first real thing. The other thing that I'd probably look at is that. With Nathan Cleary and Cameron Munster, you know, you've got uh, a bit of a mismatch in the backs when it comes to... And this is probably why a lot of straight running, dummy half, not that much fluidity in passing is happening with the Australians at the moment because, you know, you've got, you know, New South Wales, James Tedesco, Latrell Mitchell and Nathan Cleary uh, and, and Jack Whiten. Um, versus, yeah, but then you've also got Valentine Holmes and uh, Cameron Munster. And, you know, uh, Josh Adokar didn't even play <laughs> Origin this year, right? So you got, you got a bit of a mismatch based on the team that was uh, done last week. So I would think that, you know, if you're attacking in, in groups, getting that offloading away the second phase, but then... Um, you know, sort of, sort, sort of been able to 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 roll on like that. I think that would work well. Um, this might be a bit interesting, but I think where where Samoa can get them is not on post contact meters, but in pre contact meters. Right? How much go forward can you make before you hit the uh, the opponents uh, the opponent defensive line? Right. Um, and then once you hit the defensive line, get tackled and play the ball really quick, right? I think if they do that, speed it up, um, then I think they could tire out the Australians a bit more. Oh, actually, well, would, I, would I go the other way around? I'm just thinking about it now because I think Samoa would tire quicker than the Australians, right? Yeah. So, Well, I mean, I think fitness, I mean, yeah, The, I guess that's the important thing, isn't it? Is that, yeah, you know, England, uh, New Zealand played with that passion that we're kind of expecting Samoa to play. The difference is Samoa played at that level of intensity for the entire 80 80 minutes and then some, and they had more gas in the tank, I think, at the end. Whereas New Zealand felt, I felt like when they came out at halftime, after halftime, that they were kind of, they were already gassed and they were out of gas and whatever the appropriate term is, they look really tired. Uh, you know, there's often there's that thing that people say you could throw a blanket over them because they were just mm. not spreading out in attack. They were just doing the one-up hits and hit-ups and that kind of thing. Um, 
this is where I think, you know, the fitness of Australia allowed you to see the difference, uh, you know, early on in the second half and for the rest of that second half. But I think even then, despite that, New Zealand played enough scrambling defence that it kind of prevented Australia from being, you know, being the Australia that we know, which is an Australia that gets into, you know, that top gear and it's uh, it's good night, everyone, because they start putting on points. Well, that didn't happen anyway in the New Zealand game. So I think Samoa will take some comfort from what they saw uh, you know they they can scramble. They they basically got to do got to play like Queensland plays in State of Origin in most State of Origins where, you know, despite the fact that they're underdogs, they've got it. They use that to to fuel them, and to and to sort of go. It's us against them. We're the underdogs. They write us off. Let's prove them wrong. And then what you see, as you just said, is you see support in attack. You see not just one out hits. You see one out, but then with one person loitering, waiting for an offload. So if Samoa is able to do that, I think they uh, – look, what what worked for New Zealand was the number of offloads. <laughs> you mm. know, that was what worked because Australia gets – you know, maybe they get too sort of hyped up with uh, the, that first tackle and then they completely miss the second phase play. And I think the more Samoa does that, the greater the chance that they will, at least in attack – be uh, be able to compete with Australia. At the end of the day, it is a defensive, you know, def- big defense, big wins, big tournaments, and and big games. And so I think they need to really make sure that their defense doesn't leak as many points as they did during uh, the early group games. Yeah, but yeah, Tish, uh, Probably, what, what you know, else you know, uh, I'm thinking front door, not side door, like for Samoa, like uh, win them <laughs> up 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 the middle, like type thing, because. You know, the other thing, if you're looking at the Australian team, there are some players that can create opportunities for for other other players, um, you know, but you really only have Latrell Mitchell um, and Cameron Munster are probably mm. the two players that can create opportunities for themselves, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, in Samoa, like, you know, Jerome Luai, yeah, he can create uh, – yeah, he can create opportunities for – others but you know he's a great individual um you know great in- individual attacking player right um and you could say that across the board like even uh joseph sawali right um you know he could create opportunities by himself judy polo could create opportunities by himself we've seen papa lee score 50 meter you know um <laughs> runs where he just runs hard right so they do have a you know that i think they've got to back themselves to know that they can score points against australia um, so, so on the attacking side of it, I, I don't really see too much of a problem. Um, it's just where Australia get the ball in in attack, and, and you know how how much Samoa can stop them from. Yeah, because because I, I don't I don't rate Samoa scrambling uh, at all, and uh, just just for the nature of the number of tries they've leaked, right? So they're just gonna have to make sure that they. They don't give the ball away in like positions where Australia can really attack, right? <laughs> I think that's probably where 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 you could do. On the flip side, like if you think about Samoa, right? Brian Toho running it out, uh, Suahali running it out. They've actually got like uh, so much go forward in their team. It's 
it's interesting. You know, uh, I tried to do this talk to say if you actually count the players that played finals in the NRL, I think Samoa's pretty much they might even have more than what the Australians have. So, you know, they're actually oh, wow. quite evenly. Yeah, because it, it's not like uh, Samoa has just got a team of players that are playing, um, you know, in, in the NRL. They've actually got a team of players that are playing in the top teams, right? Um, there's actually very few of their players that are not, um, you know, not playing for big teams. Whereas over on the Australian team, like, you know, if you take a player like... Um, you know, if you take a player like Josh Adekar, he's playing for the Bulldogs, right? He didn't play finals footy this year. Um, ben Hunt didn't play finals footy this year. Um, you know, even the uh, Jake Trevojevic didn't play finals uh, this year as well. So, you know, um, yeah. so it kind of, it kind of, it, it, I think it's going to be a lot more closer than what people think it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's what I think as well. And I think uh, for all the reasons that you've stated, I think it's going to be an epic game. That's for sure. And look, Yes, there is a bit of a fairy tale element to this in the sense that, um, you know, for us to suggest that this is going to be a close match, you just never know with Australia. Sometimes they put on a, a big performance and and you end up sort of going, oh, well, that's uh, that was to be expected. I look at it like, like the Panthers and the Eels grand final this year in the NRL. I think the fairy tale would have been, well, here is an Eels team that has beaten them twice this year, has matched it with them like no other team has. They're in the grand final. Let's put a performance on. And then they put on a terrible performance because Penrith dominates and everything clicks into gear. And and then everyone looks back at it and says, well, they have actually dominated the last two years. So that shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone that they that they were that far ahead of the Eels. And I, th- I feel like it's the same thing with Australia and virtually any opposition in in a big tournament final uh, where, where you know, this is their bread and butter. This is what they know how to do. Um, are, they, are they really the clear favourites? Is it going to be a flogging? You know, is it the fact that we, uh, we got some very high-quality semifinals but it'll be a mismatch in the final? You know, these are the, the questions that are yet to be answered. But I think from what we're both saying, Tish, in summary, is that we feel that Samoa really has the potential to uh, compete. And if they're able to do that and if they're able to compete in a smart way and uh, and keep up with the Aussies fitness-wise, they've got some clutch players that have proven that they can uh, match it with the big teams. And they can probably, you know, they could take this out. So there is a possibility that Samoa could win this game from what we've seen. You know, Samoa has improved throughout the tournament you know they seem like they really they're they're understanding what it means to be a tournament team you know even if you miss out on that first game as long as you've improved from then on and that's they certainly have done that and and you know they've got clutch players as we said Crichton uh you know and and Luai with with his uh multiple men of the match winning performances uh over the last four games and, and, you know, you put all that together and, you know, the other question, I guess, is it'll be a couple of the matchups are going to be really interesting. One is going to be the Luai versus Cleary. Mm. Uh, very likely that Cleary will be retained, even though a lot of people are calling for Dudley Cherry Evans. I think Cleary uh, has done enough to suggest that he uh, should be uh, the, the halfback for Australia. But the other matchup is Swali versus uh, so Master versus Apprentice, Tedesco versus Swali in the fullback role. Um, you know, 
what what what's that going to look like? Because Swalee started off not very well defensively, but mm. over the course of the tournament, he's actually become pretty solid in defence, and mm. in, in my view, and as you said, uh, has been super dangerous uh, when he takes those one out runs. Um, so I wonder what's going to happen because the, mm. both matchups are really going to be look. This all adds to the drama, doesn't it, of rugby league in general, yeah, in particular absolutely. the World Cup final. As if there wasn't already enough drama with Samoa there, there's already those individual matchups which will bring, uh, you know, an extra kind of cherry on top to the drama that's already there. But look, I've gone on a rant, but Tish, uh, you know, any final words on uh, what the what your view of the preview is of this uh, grand final, uh, well, World Cup final? Yeah, well, look, it could be interesting, you know. Um, maybe Teddy, uh, maybe Swahili gets the better of Teddy, gets the upper hand. So Teddy Tedesco, you know, sort of um, vouches to take revenge and then secretly raises up Swahili's son to one day come and avenge, uh, yeah, his own father. Something like that. You I just... don't know. Is this a, is this a Bollywood uh, film that you're writing? Well, I'm trying to do Star Wars here, you know, with uh, with Anakin and uh, Obi Wan. Here I'm thinking it was a Bollywood movie, but no, it's you're right. It's a Star Wars uh, thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right. Let's move on. As we're getting a bit crazy, let's move on to tackle number five. We're going to talk about the Golden Boot winners. Here we go. The uh, the 2022 International Rugby League Golden Boot winners have been announced for the Men's, Women's and Wheelchair International Player of the Year, respectively. And the winners are, well, for the men's, Joey Manu from New Zealand. Well done, Joey. Um, he has actually, I, I have actually have to agree with this. This one, I know a lot of people were expecting Josh Adokar to win, but I think Joey Manu's done enough to show that he, uh, you know, it's not about just try scoring. It is about, you know, your your influence in the game and your your role in the game. And I think Joey Manu has proven throughout this tournament he's one of the, the top kind of – he's definitely in the top echelon of best male players in the world at the moment. Um, and the next one was for the women's game, Racine McGregor received the golden boot for, um, you know, best international women's player of the year. Uh, well done, Racine. I think she also won the uh, – uh, well, she's the first New Zealander to be awarded the women's golden boot. It was introduced in 2018, um, and it was basically initially won by Isabel Kelly, who then uh, passed the honour to teammate Jessica Sergis the week uh, – the year after – and so well done, Racine. And finally, the wheelchair uh, international player of the year goes to England's Sebastian Bichara. Uh, Sebastian, uh, uh, yeah, so the, the wheelchair golden boot was actually introduced in 2019 with Bichara's England teammate, Jack Brown, being the inaugural winner. And unfortunately, due to COVID, that uh, award has not been presented for the past two years. So he is the second recipient of this uh, prestigious award. Tish, uh, what are your views on any of these uh, wins? Well, look, I've got to ask you first. What does the golden boot actually mean? 
Well, in this case, it means uh, it's for the best uh, international player for that year. So, um, so this is not to be confused with the golden ball, I think, which is the top <laughs> try scorer. I don't know. I'm making that up. Yeah, but yeah. Because yeah. usually golden boot in, I think, in English Premier League is the most goal scored, right? Yeah, but we're not talking about that game. No, we're the round ball game. game. We're yet, talking so about yeah. the real game here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Joseph Manu, out of all the players internationally, right? So around the world, has he has he been the best? Look, I think he's had a fair season. Like you know, in the international season, we're talking about in the international season. Okay, you can't count. You know, it's not what he did for the, the roosters, roosters. It's what he's done yeah. in international games. Mm. I, I would look. Well, well, look, I think, yeah. I think, I think, I think. Um, Jerome Lua has been snubbed, right? I think you could look at it that way, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah because, uh, you know, this is uh, obviously Michael Maguire has uh, gone in there and uh, – no, no. <laughs> look, I, I, look, look, <laughs> look, I think – well, look, Joseph Manu has played well for New Zealand and I think he's been an integral part of the team. But, look, you know, I think, yeah, as I said, there's probably some other worthy contenders that he's beaten out and um, – Maybe like, from the judging and the the thing, but look, I think it's a great honor. I think, you know, it's, if for any other team that he would play for, you know, the fact that he plays what well, in the census for the Roosters, but you know, he is an out and out fullback, isn't he? So, you know, it's kind of uh, you know the Roosters have got three fullbacks uh, playing in this World Cup, right? So, um, you know, kind of kind of crazy the uh, what the sombrero. Is able to uh, <laughs> to able to keep under their wits, but look, he, he's a great player. He is one of these players where he's got that X factor about him, but he's also a very incredibly consistent player too, a very smart rugby league player as well. So he's kind of got it all. So so I think I think well done on that part. I think Racing McGregor is also the um, you know she she has been at the top of the game in women's rugby league across the board in at, at all levels. So I think well done to her and. Yeah, look, um, my knowledge at the moment of wheelchair rugby league is still growing, um, but I think it's also great that we're recognising uh, wheelchair athletes for the Golden Boot Award. Um, <laughs> that which, yeah, well, I just realised hmm. the irony in that. Yeah, Maybe it should be golden, a... golden Wheel for them. Yeah, potentially, potentially. So, but I think, uh, yeah, but but look, it's it's great to see it recognised, and and hopefully this can raise the profile of wheelchair rugby league globally as well. Absolutely. All right, final tackle the tips. Here we go. So, uh, after last week's semi-final tips, we got one each. Uh, you know, e- equally, easily, we could have both got two, uh, depending on whether <laughs> Australia and England you were going for, and I was going for New Zealand, Samoa. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, one of my radical tips paid off, which brings me to 178 points, and you are now 179.5. Uh, I can still probably sneak in there, but it's uh, it's going to be pretty tough for me. But let's have a look at uh, the finals. So we basically got – well, there's a few – in addition to this week, us tipping the finals, I'm going to keep those other tips alive where the beginning of the wheelchair and the women's tournaments, we, we predicted who would win. So I'm going to keep those ones alive where I tipped France – 
you tipped England for the wheelchair and we both tipped Australia for the women. So that, that's not really going to separate us in terms of the tips. But the real one is this one. We've got three World Cup finals to be played this weekend uh, or in, in the next few days. Can't wait for it. Let's go with the wheelchair one first. France versus England. I did tip France to win from the very beginning, and I still think that they will against England. But Tish, do you tip France or England? Oh, look, I'm going to tip England. All right. Uh, women's Australia, the Gillaroos versus New Zealand, the Silver Ferns. Uh, Australia's just been totally dominant, whereas I think the Silver Ferns, as good as they are, and the fact they've got the Golden Boot player within them, within their ranks, I still think it's not going to be enough, and I think uh, Australia will win this one. Yeah, look, I think you're right. I am all. I am tipping Australia in this one as well. All right, and finally, and before I get into the, the 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 tips for the men's, interesting that out of the six teams that are playing in these World Cup finals, um, there is really well, it's, they're they're from five different nations which I think is something to be congratulated for in terms of uh, we should congratulate ourselves that we've got variety. Look, yes, Australia mm. is probably the favourites in both the men's and the women's, but the fact that they've got you've got a Samoa team, you've got a New Zealand team, and in mm. the wheelchair you've got a France and an England team. You know, this shows – this is really good for rugby league, I think. But having yeah. said that – yep, sorry, go ahead. No, no, absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree. All right, and finally, Australia – versus Samoa, the big one in the men's game. I'm going to tip an upset. I'm going to tip a Samoa victory and because I did predict a seismic shift in wow. international rugby league. Mm. And while we've already felt one with Samoa making the final, I feel like there's an even bigger uh, Everest to climb, an even bigger seismic activity. It, the big one is going to happen. Mm. They are going to actually win this World Cup against Australia. I believe they can do it, as we just talked about. We've seen the signs, good signs and bad for both teams, and I think on balance, I reckon, and with a bit of a bit of luck, <laughs> Samoa, I think, can defeat Australia. What about you, Tish? Look, I am going to tip Australia. I think uh, 2008, I remember that World Cup where Australia, like, shock-locked it. And uh, it is something that uh, it's something that, that that doesn't happen that really. And because Australia's won it so many times, it feels like it's something that you have to up upkeep and uphold. And I think that type of mentality is probably what Big Mal has got going to get these guys primed up. So I just think Australia's going to have, in the end, that too much heritage history behind them for them to to not take this game lightly and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, I don't think it's going to get ugly. A lot of people are predicting it's going to be like very one-sided. I think it's going to be close, but I think at the end of the day, I think Australia are going to pull it out like they always seem to do in these finals, except for that anomaly in 2008. All right. And uh, no Ricky Stewart this time to, to be yeah. the coach. So you never know. And, and, and as good as Jerome Luai is, uh, New Zealand did have Benji Marshall, right? So, this is absolutely true. You can't get away from the Benji Marshall factor there. Um, but, yeah, look, one thing that, that I do want to note is, uh, you know, 
do you know who uh, refereed the 2008 World Cup, Rugby League World Cup final? Ashley Klein. Ashley Klein. Really? <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, all right, there you go. So, um, you know, is he also refereeing this one or is it Jared Sutton? I reckon it's going to be Ashley Klein. But look, and it was at Lang Park. So, you know, the home team, you know, didn't didn't get it done. There was that controversy. I think um, I think this is where Ricky Stewart, you know, had a blow up after the game against the referees and, and everyone and uh, ended up resigning <laughs> because he felt that they were cheating and they cheated Australia out of a victory. Look, wow. I don't know if that's going to be the case this time around, but... I get the feeling that uh, something big is brewing for Samoa. Uh, so it remains to be seen. Is Australia, this is a question for the men's game, is Australia going to be crowned world champions yet again, continuing the tradition of them being at the uh, the pinnacle of, of the game, the, 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 you know, the ones that everyone looks towards, or are we going to see a changing of the guard, a much-needed changing of the guard, uh, with uh, you know, not just a, a New Zealand team like happened in what you call an anon- anomaly, but a team, a South Pacific Island nation of only two hundred thousand residents, where there's a diaspora all over the world, especially in Australia though, uh, and in New Zealand, but that are going to be supporting these Samoan uh, representatives. It's going to be a big one, that's for sure. And look, we are very close to our traditional 80 minutes on this podcast. So I think it's time to wrap it up and uh, let's all get some rest here in Australia because we're going to have a 3 a.m. Uh, wake-up call uh, on uh, on Sunday, the 20th of November for this big clash, Australia versus Samoa. But look, enjoy that game and enjoy all the other games as well that we have remaining this year in this epic World Cup. We are going to continue on for maybe one or two more episodes this year to review what happened and to take a look back at the Rugby League World Cup and judge it and put, do a report card. Is it been? Is it as successful as we think it should have been? That We're going to look at that and then we're going to end up with, uh, obviously, our traditional uh, Rugby League Republic Awards uh, at the end of the season. So, Tish... Over to you to wrap this one up on an epic and historic uh, World Cup final ahead of us. Well, thank you, Dr. T, uh, for this amazing episode. I'd like to thank everybody out there uh, for listening to this show. But that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.